because we are living in a chemical world and I'm a chemical nondescript person. Hello and welcome to Chemical World. I am Kenna Crampton, membership director here at KDNK Community Radio. And I'm Maggie Seldeen. I do a lot of things, but I'm also the founder and director of High Rockies Harm Reduction. I always forget who I am and what I do and where I came from. <laughs> Happy March. Oh, my God. Spring is right around the corner. <laughs> yeah, springtime. Oh, man. March is definitely such a great month. So happy March, everyone. Yes, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Chemical World, where we talk about all things drugs, drug policy, recovery, addiction, and just, you know, whatever we think is relevant. So today I'm really excited to revisit a topic that I think that we've discussed before, but I kind of, well, we've definitely discussed it before, but I wanted to do a little more of an in-depth look at medication-assisted treatment specifically for opioid use disorder, but is also commonly relevant for alcohol as well. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to do an entire episode on it because we've really just touched on it before, and I don't think most people... As if, as if you're not involved in drugs, you don't really know what medical-assisted treatment is. So I think it's really exciting to have this whole episode on it. And are we allowed to say about... We might as well. Um, well, and, we, you know, I'm not 100% on all of the details yet, but this is really relevant and exciting because historically for the past 10 to 15 years, we have only had access to Suboxone is really the only... MAT treatment for opioid use disorder that you'll see commonly, but in 2022, we will be getting a methadone clinic in Glenwood, which is super, super exciting. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's always a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. This is an organization that already exists, so they're able to streamline this a lot faster than normally would occur, but of course, it does take time to build out these programs, but I'm really excited about this because, yeah, people definitely don't always understand the differences between medication-assisted treatment, but, you know, I talk about it all the time, options. We need options because everybody is different, and, you know, you need to sometimes try different things before you find the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. And for some people, medical-assisted treatments might not be right because some people want to quit cold turkey and not have to be reliant on anything at all. But for some people, that doesn't really matter, and they just want to get off of the drug that's causing harm in their life. And so that's where harm reduction comes in. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I think it's such a great sort, you know, like we were just that we're saying, we need options. You know, AA doesn't work for everybody. NA doesn't work for everybody. Medical-assisted treatment programs don't work for everybody. We all need options, and there's so many people out there. So... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the number one thing patients say to me when they're first introduced to the idea of Matt is that they don't really want to be on a substance forever because you're not technically sober. You are still taking an opiate and we'll go over the variety of options that exist because some of them are stronger and do more than others. Um, but, you know, I think that is like for myself, I still use cannabis, nicotine, caffeine and sugar. Those are all psychotropic substances that I ultimately want to eliminate from my diet, right? Because 
the goal is the best quality of life mentally and physically. And I know that those substances cause me adverse health effects, right? So whether it's because I'm smoking it or because of the, you know, relationship, the effects it has on my body and the effects mm-hmm. it has with my neurochemistry. Uh, but, you know, for me, ultimate sobriety is the goal but I think that sober is kind of a dirty word because it's also like not necessarily you know it's it's not needed to get that quality of life I can be happy I can get my stuff done I can be in good health and maybe still have ice cream on the weekends or a cigarette here or there whatever it is but you know it is it's a lot of people they want to they want to get completely sober they want to quit cold turkey but that can be pretty difficult and physically arduous for people and so it's like these drugs are an option for you to get clean without going through withdrawal and I talk about it like let's just get you stable you know like Mm -hmm. let's get you on this drug and let's get you stable in your home life in your work life in your social life in whatever you know and then we can look at weaning you off of that substance but there's so much more going on in your life if we can just stabilize you and so even patients in mat treatment it usually takes about a year of you know stable consistent participation in a program to really get the benefits of it you know nothing is a silver bullet all of these things take time yeah I don't think I can imagine my life without sugar and ice cream (laughs) just throwing that out there of why that's okay everybody is different (laughs) but like you know I think yeah I just that's uh I ice cream makes me so happy (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Well, I remember one time a therapist was asking me like what I did like to make myself happy or to treat myself. And I said ice cream and she kind of like gave me a look like because that can be a dangerous coping mechanism. Yeah, (laughs) basically. I can Um, see that for sure. And that's, you know, we I talk a lot about addiction pathways and how the actual substance or activity itself is such a small part of an addiction that it's so much more about what's going on for us internally that's making us use these coping skills in an unhealthy way right it's all about our relationship with these substances or activities and the activities just release the same substances in our brain naturally right like you go out and spend six hundred dollars on shoes you're gonna have a huge dopamine (laughs) rush right and same if you know you took ecstasy you're gonna have a huge dopamine rush so I also talk a lot about like Drugs are all just mimicking natural chemical reactions, right? But so for me and my recovery, uh, sex and food are are really I I knew kind of for a long time that they were a big big part of my problems. Mm-hmm. And so for me, recovery was also being abstinent from sex. And I feel like I see a lot of the times where people, you know, like in AA, they say you shouldn't be in a relationship for the first two years of your recovery. I don't think that that like is a hard, fast rule. Like I was in a relationship with somebody who was already sober. I had been with that person for years before I got sober. Mm-hmm. I've heard beautiful love stories about people who met in rehab. You know, it just it doesn't have to be like that. But as somebody who has always seen sex as a big part of my mental health issues, I totally get where they're coming from because it just – there are so many unhealthy thoughts 
about sexuality as a woman Mm -hmm. in our culture today right and so there's just it's that same way that it's not about the the drug isn't bad it's our relationship with the drug it's not that sexuality is bad it's our relationship with sexuality and sex and the clothes we wear and, and you know the things we have to do and so for me it's like my value as a woman was in what I could offer men and what I could offer other people, right? So like we tend to view our value as women rooted very strongly in our sexuality. And that's not true, ladies, <laughs> is what I'm slowly learning. And then also, yeah, like the sugar. I was just talking to my dad about this recently and he kind of feels bad. But, you know, and he's not the only one. Like the majority of um, soft drinks, sodas, energy drinks, things like that are consumed by children and adolescents. We give kids mm-hmm. chocolate without thinking that it has caffeine in it, you know. So he's not the only one. We are all guilty of this. But I definitely – it was not handled very well at all, um, my relationship with sugar from a very, very young age. And yeah. so I am a total sugar addict. And I'm not saying like everyone shouldn't eat sugar. I just oh, like yeah, for no. me and my recovery, I'm like that I would love to just see what my life looks like and how I would feel physically. Yeah. But I'm sure the first 30 days, it doesn't feel very good. Oh, but that's yeah, anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like it's so much, especially like a lot of my addictions are, they, there's, they stem so much in a habit. Like, I get done with dinner and I automatically am like, all right, I know where's where's the sugar? <laughs> like, all right, what what do I have? Do I have ice cream? Do I have brownies? You know, whatever it is, you know. And it's the same thing with pot. Like, I was just saying to someone the other day, like, I, like, okay, I'm about to go do something. I better get stoned. <laughs> like, no matter what it is, I'm gonna go on a walk. I'm gonna clean. I'm gonna do whatever like it's just such a habit that I had for so long that I Mm -hmm. was really really hard for me to kick um so yeah well and I think that's a great illustration and we can hopefully talk about this more on the next episode just of how you know we feed those addiction pathways and like you and I are definitely people who are doing you know so much better than we were that yeah, yeah I'm not like sugar's not destroying my life and neither is cannabis nicotine or caffeine like I'm doing okay as far as everyone else goes, you know, but just in the long run, because I know like I'm still feeding those addictive, those addiction patterns and those yeah. addiction pathways. And I think I told you this, that I, I always talk about, you know, addiction is a you thing. It's not the substance thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it can be anything. And I really had an interesting experience with a puzzle recently where like I could not stop working on this puzzle until it was done. And I'm yeah. just like... That's the addict in me for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do that with like TV is one of my what that's one of my substances that I like overdo that I feel does affect my quality of life for sure, because I could just sit and watch TV all day long and not do anything. And it feels so bad. Mm-hmm. And I get like stuck on shows that like I've already seen. But I can't stop and I can't watch anything else until I'm done with this. Like, we'll have to know, talk off air because yeah. I'm having that in my life right now. <laughs> but sounds like, but we do need to get back yeah. to, yeah, the, the map treatment program. And yeah, it definitely Sorry, sounds like, no, it. you're good. I think we should, yeah, it sounds like we've got a lot to talk about next month in April. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I wanted to, you know, just go over because I know there is a lot of confusion and questions about, you know, what these different um treatments are and so I'll start with you know the one that is most common which is buprenorphine buprenorphine is a partial opioid 
agonist used in medication-assisted treatment. This is generally a pill or a sublingual tab that goes under your tongue that you usually take about three times a day. Um, the general brand names that we see for this are Suboxone and Subutex. Suboxone is definitely by and far the most popular. Um, the reason is really just because it's prescribed more often because it is a combination of that buprenorphine and naloxone. Um, so in theory, it's designed to prevent people from abusing it because that naloxone basically like makes it so that if they were to use other heroin, it wouldn't do anything. Mm. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there about buprenorphine in general. And it's frustrating because, you know, you do have to get a certain waiver even with the Biden administration trying to make some changes here to be able to um, prescribe buprenorphine. But providers still talk about it like like they're a textbook and this information is incorrect. They say things like you can't get high from buprenorphine or you can't overdose while you're on buprenorphine. Those are not true. And so I think okay. the problem, too, that we see is um, a lot of failures with medication-assisted treatment because there isn't proper education. The providers don't necessarily know what they're talking about. I mean, in the world of drugs, like anecdotal information is usually a lot more helpful than statistics, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, also just like these patients, I don't, I think often don't get the patience that they need, you know, the uh -huh. really making sure that it's the, a person understands what this medication is supposed to do. You know, it can be hard for providers to really be able to take that time to explain this to people. But I think uh -huh. that's where we're seeing a lot of problems. You know, we have a lot of MAP provi providers in the Valley, but how many of them are really doing this stuff the way that they should, you know, prescribing Narcan, having really client-centered trauma-informed services, you know, accepting the reality of the way that these drugs can be abused because we act like they can't. Nope, it doesn't do that. It does do that, you know, and we need to be realistic as always with these drugs. Um, and then there's Subutex, which is just plain buprenorphine. So sometimes people might, for whatever reason, want Subutex over Suboxone. The only difference is that there is naloxone in that Suboxone. Um, it does make it like people used to, you know, they would use subs until they could get heroin, basically. And so that won't, it, you can't really um, regulate your use the same way because of that naloxone element. Um, so it was designed to make it, to, you know, reduce the abuse potential, but it can still be abused. I just want to make that very clear. Okay. Um, and then a similar, so again, that's a partial opioid agonist. So we think about, you know, like heroin, for example, is a full agonist. It binds and fully stimulates the opioid receptors in our brain. Naloxone is an opioid antagonist, so it binds and blocks those receptors so another drug can't get in, right? So it reverses the overdose. And naloxone is just like Narcan, right? It's the same thing, yeah. Yes, same okay. thing. The mm -hmm. naloxone is just the generic, and the Narcan is the brand name of the nasal spray. Great. Um, so, and then you have your partial agonists, like buprenorphine, which are in the middle, which I think part of the reason, so people really talk about, you know, medication-assisted treatment in general, but buprenorphine as being like the gold standard is how it's referred academically and in literature for opioid use disorder treatment. I think because... 
you know, it does have, when you have the suboxone, there is a little bit of a reduction of the abuse potential with that naloxone added in there. And the fact that it's um, a partial agonist as opposed to a full agonist, which I'll get into momentarily, it's not going to like stimulate that um, receptor and get you high necessarily in the same way um, that a stronger opioid would, but you are going to have like a lot of reduction in craving. Like it is going to partially stimulate um, that receptor. So really the biggest thing is, yeah, that helping and you don't have cravings, but you're not necessarily getting the same like euphoria that you might from using heroin. Um, but it's also not like naloxone where it's just going to completely block everything out. Okay. There's also a shot, um, an injection that's a partial agonist. It's an intramuscular injection called, called sublocade. So again, it's it's similar to buprenorphine in how it is how it acts, but it's longer acting and you get that injected once a month. Similarly, Vivitrol is a once a month injection. And this is pretty interesting. Vivitrol has always been a really interesting drug to me. Um, specifically because it's used for alcohol use disorder and opioid use disorder. Oh, okay. And so that's also, again, a monthly intramuscular shot, and it's an opioid antagonist like Narcan. So it binds and blocks the receptors without stimulating them. And again, so you're not having really like those drug cravings because the receptors are full, um, but you're not also not getting high from it. Now, this can kind of, what I'm about to say is probably the same science behind why you could overdose on buprenorphine. Um, What happens with a drug like Vivitrol, it's kind of like an abuse, if you think about it, except for there's no like negative side effects, right? Like it just makes you not want to drink. But what happens is, so again, and you can go, you know, to hierarchiesharmreduction.com or to our YouTube to see my presentations and see the slides um, from our PowerPoint on Narcan, where we talk about what it's doing in the brain. It's binding and blocking those receptors, right? Because what happens in an opioid overdose is your receptors are all full of opioids and there's still more opioids floating around and there's too much and you overdose. The Narcan kicks, comes in, kicks those chemicals out, binds to that receptor and blocks it, right? But all of those opioids are still floating around in your brain and the naloxone can only has a duration of action of 30 to 90 minutes. So if the naloxone wears off in 30 minutes and you still have all these other opioid chemicals, you can just go back into an overdose. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So with Vivitrol, one of the concerns is that if you did choose to drink or use, it's not like an abuse where you would become sick, but you're not going to notice the effects because all those receptors are blocked with the Vivitrol. And so what can happen is people can actually drink or drug themselves to death without noticing because Mm -hmm. they're not feeling the physical effects of the drug, but it's up there in their brain. Okay. So that's the one concern I've heard about Vivitrol is that, yeah, if you do, you know, choose to use, there is a heightened risk because you're not going to notice the effects. Again, there are probably a lot of missing links in everything I'm saying. I'm, you know, I don't know everything 100%. And this is a field where I feel like we're always still learning because, again, like the information being put out there by doctors um, 
and, and, you know, it's not the doctor's fault being put out there by the medication companies. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like, this is not enough information. Like, this is not the whole story. I need more information. And the best way to learn about these things is really by working with the patients and talking to the patients and hearing their experiences. But again, every person's body is going to be different. And one person might not, you know, be indicated for a certain medication or another, which brings us to our last medication-assisted treatment option, which is methadone uh, or dolophin. And that's a full agonist, right? So methadone, it basically like it just gets you high like an opioid, but it's long lasting. So rather than needing to score or pick up multiple times a day or whatever, you just take your one dose of methadone in the morning and you're good for 24 hours. And so you're also not getting as high necessarily as if you were like injecting heroin because it's a long term dose. But the drug itself is like fully stimulating those opioid receptors. Okay, and if you're on methadone and you decide that you want to be higher, can you go out and if you if you were to use any other opioid, would you st- still risk overdosing? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the same with buprenorphine, and that's why most of these places will, I mean, a, a standard of Medication-assisted treatment is that you have to do regular regular urinary analysis. My belief is that it shouldn't be like, oh, I saw this in your system, so I'm cutting you off. It's, oh, I saw this in your system, so we need to have a conversation Mm -hmm. because it is especially dangerous to use any other kind of opioid, benzodiazepine, or alcohol while you are on these medications. You absolutely can overdose, yes. Okay. And so, um, again, you know, going back, the Sublicate and the Vivitrol, those are monthly shots. Buprenorphine, you generally, when you first start, you will get a week at a time, and you can go up to a month at a time. But so that's one once a week you have to go in normally. And then methadone, that's every single day. Okay. And so that's why I'm so excited to see methadone coming to Glenwood, because right now our closest methadone clinic is in Grand Junction. And that's actually pretty common for rural Americans to have to travel multiple hours a day to get their methadone. Because again, you have to go every single day for quite a while. And even if you get, I think the most you can ever get at a time is a month. And that's after like a lot of consistency with the program. But buprenorphine is not going to be the gold standard for everyone. And I've seen a lot of situations of buprenorphine or Suboxone not being successful in the community. And I I already spoke to, I think one of the big issues is, do we have follow-up care? Do we have peer support? Is the, you know, provider really trauma-informed and educated about this drug? Because honestly, they're not always. And so there's a lot more we can do to really strengthen our buprenorphine efforts. But having methadone is huge because generally what we, we we see is buprenorphine and suboxone is really good for people who maybe had a pill problem with opioids. But for injection drug users with a history of opioid use, so injection heroin users, things like that, generally methadone is going to be more appropriate for them. And again, it just goes to the strength of methadone versus buprenorphine, the strength of street opiates versus prescription opiates. They're chemically the same drugs, but they're you know, in a perfect world, if you were actually getting heroin on the street and it wasn't fentanyl or God knows what, um, it would be, you know, kind of a pure, stronger form than what you would get in a pill from the doctor. Okay. So that's, a, 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 you know, a huge reason why I'm super excited about methadone expansion because a lot of people do it, but I'm sure it's unrealistic to most people to travel from Glenwood, Carbondale, Aspen to Grand Junction every single day. If that's something you're willing to do, the Medicaid taxi will pick you up 
up and take you there and bring you back for free. But oh, wow. That's that, awesome. So it's awesome. Yeah, it definitely there are people who do it and make it work. But we're really excited to expand this um, and, and bring it in here. And I know we kind of got a little derailed on this episode. So, I, you know, these were really just medication-assisted treatment options, very specific to opioid use disorder. Please reach out to me at Maggie at HighRockiesHarmReduction.com if you have any questions or are interested in accessing local services because we can get you locally Vivitrol and buprenorphine and very soon methadone. But, you know, other drugs that are being used to treat depression and PTSD, especially here in Colorado, include ketamine, Adderall, cannabis, psilocybin, MDMA, and I believe you have to travel out of the country, but Ibogaine, peyote, you know, really there are a mm-hmm. lot of drugs that are have an MDMA um, before the war on drugs had hundreds of clinical essays talking about how great it was at treating depression and PTSD, hmm. you know, so yeah. it's interesting. We're, we're kind of in this place as a society. It's an interesting thing to walk. We're kind of go watch. We're kind of going back to basics a little bit yeah. um, because we just spent 200 years just tr- gutting everything to find out that it, what we were trying to do or create with the industrial revolution or whatever is just like doing nothing but hurting us. So taking yeah. it back to, yeah, really, you know, holistic um, kind of shamanistic treatment of addiction. Uh, I, you know, if you're somebody out there who has tried any of those really more alternative chemicals, please reach out to us because we'd, we'd love to hear about your experience. But I definitely know that, you know, MDMA, ketamine, psilocybin, they're, they're having some real, real promising studies with locally. So yeah, can't wait to see that come too. Yeah, very, very cool. Well, this was a really information-heavy episode, and uh, I hope, yeah, like Maggie said, if you have any questions about any of this, because, you know, Suboxone, Buprenorphine, 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 you got it, all of those those words um, are like what we were saying, like, (laughs) they may not mean anything to you so if you have any questions about any of this yeah reach out to maggie maggie at hierarchiesharmreduction.com or you can also reach out to us um, on facebook instagram uh, at chemical world or hierarchies harm reduction and then you can also follow katie and k on facebook and instagram and if you're interested in listening to past episodes or extended versions of any of these episodes, you can go to kdnk.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our next episode of Chemical World will air on KDNK on April 11th at 4.30 p.m. And just remember, you don't have to be sober to keep your community clean. Drugs may come and drugs may go, and that's all right, you see. Experience has made me rich, and now I can use safely. It might be beer, it might be dope, it may even be caffeine. But we all have a little something that keeps us on our feet. What's important is being safe and stopping the spread.